Hello and welcome to the Marketing That Matters podcast, casual conversations for purpose-driven women. Each week we'll talk about what's grabbed our attention, productivity hacks making our life easier, and chat about a purpose-led brand. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. How are you going, Alicia? I'm good. How are you? Good, thank you. This week, we're talking about Seth Godin. He is saying that people aren't looking for authenticity. They want consistency. But unfortunately, we disagree with him. We're also looking at the customer experience of 2021 and what to watch out for this year. The brand we're talking about is Spotify, and we delve into how they're using data to their own advantage. And how you can also use your data to help your marketing strategy. What got my attention this week was a podcast with Seth Godin. He was on the Marketing Over Coffee podcast. For those of you who don't know, Seth is a marketing guru with over 19 books and he blogs every single day. He's a machine. Crazy. He has a new book out called The Practice, Shipping Creative Work. It's all about um, how to do creative work, you know, things like writing a book or writing blogs and things like that. What interested me in this podcast is he said that people aren't looking for authenticity They want consistency. He says, if you fake authenticity completely and consistently, that's good enough for every one of your customers. Because the fact is, whenever we engage with anyone who is marketing anything to us, we don't want to know how their day was. We just want the best version of them. That's what we signed up for. We signed up to get the best version of our lawyer, of our surgeon, the person who's cooking us dinner or whatever it is we just bought. Please don't tell me you're having a bad day. I don't care that you're having a bad day. I want you to give me what you said you're going to give me and I want it to be consistent and magic. So Alicia, I'm torn because I'm not sure I agree with him. I believe authenticity is crucial, but is consistency more important to consumers? What do you think? Well, this is the debate of sort of what we were taught back in our uni days because in our uni days, it was all about consistency and authenticity wasn't as big because social media wasn't as big back in 2005, 2006 (laughs) when we started uni. So it's interesting because these days as social media marketers, we often see authenticity and and really fly the flag of be authentic. People want to connect with you. However, I am torn as well because I agree there is a level of consistency people expect and that almost builds your brand and I think you need to be at a point or at a level of people understanding and wanting to be associated with your brand to be able to show that the possibly the sides that aren't as attractive the way I see it I think consumers expect consistency from a brand I think it's an expectation you expect a brand to be consistent you expect the level of service you get to be consistent but I think they desire authenticity for example, to going back to that surgeon reference, you expect your surgeon to show up and be consistent, but authenticity from a surgeon, it's an added bonus. Right. So that's the way I'm looking at it with brands in that okay. you expect consistency from them and you expect them to deliver, mm-hmm. but the authenticity you get, I feel like that's, that's added value almost. And that a- insight into behind the scenes and pulling the veil yes. is an extra. Yeah, that's a really good way to look at it. And I suppose when I think of brands that have shown authenticity there, it's quite clever how people, how brands have done it in the past. Yeah, and it it does take it, it's it's almost easy to just deliver what people want, and it's harder to reveal. 
yeah, sides that you might not necessarily yeah. fit into your brand. Yeah. Um, like if I think of some um, personal brands that are quite authentic on social media, like say someone like Constance Hall, a lot of lovers – a lot of haters. Sure. You know, so and you I open think yourself up yeah, to being I think ridiculed. with authenticity, that's always going to happen. If you're being honest and real, you're always going to cop a bit of both sides. I think authenticity is also more important when it comes to brand purpose. So yes. you want the brand to be authentic in terms of um, understanding where their brand purpose comes from and where that's what that's aligned with. But then there's also a consistency element of delivering on your purpose as well. Mm. While we're talking about authenticity, I thought this is a great way to think about small businesses um, and if you're wondering how to be more authentic with your brand, um, Frontify have five great tips, which is take time to build relationships, be consistent like we just said, have a conversation, stay true to your brand values and be honest and transparent. So I think there's some good guidelines to work, work to if you're thinking about how to be more authentic over things like social media for your brand. I think it's funny that we're, we've gone into talking about how to be authentic when Seth Godin, who is totally someone we look up to, is saying about how it's not important to be, I feel fake authentic. However, yeah, how it's important to be more consistent than authentic. I know. We just totally disagree with him. Yeah. Yeah. Which it doesn't often happen, but no. definitely, we definitely have seen more success with authenticity than we have not. So we are going to stay on that. Um, we're going to stay with channeling that. Yeah. I think... Um, Frontify also this great quote, an authentic brand knows what it stands for and why it exists. It knows where it came from and it, where it's going. It has clarity of vision and a driving passion. And I think that all comes down to the purpose, which is what we talk about here. So maybe that's why we're so, so pro for this authenticity and Seth isn't. Yes. Maybe this week on our Instagram, we might be a little bit more authentic. <laughs> Show a glimpse into our real lives. I didn't know that you want to say that. <laughs> What's got my attention this week is an article in Marketing Mag, the CX trends set to take hold of 2021. Now, if you don't know what CX means, it means customer experience. Four senior leaders consider what emerging customer experience trends will be more relevant than ever in 2021. Robert Schwartz, Managing Director of ANZ, he says, I'm expecting to see an acceleration of voice-based services and customer experiences in 2021. The past few months have been pivotal pivotable for adoption of voice technologies around the world and Australia is no exception. Tesla reports that 2.6 million Australian households now have a smart speaker while Amazon reported a huge increase in the use of voice in the home. At the same time a report from Cognizant says that Australia is adopting smart speakers at a faster rate than other countries and that one in five Australian businesses reporting have having a formal voice strategy more than any other APAC countries. Jade, here it pops up again, voice-based services. What do you think? I know. It's kind of, I, I find it kind of annoying personally because I have a Google Home. I don't use it. I find it annoying. <laughs> but I think we just have to face facts that this is where we're going. And I think we have seen it rise quicker than we thought due to the pandemic because in that same article, they talked about um, not only has the pandemic made us more aware of unhygienic surfaces, including customer-facing touchscreens, but it also has incited a renewed interest in interacting with human-sounding voice as a result of months of social isolation. So it's fun. It's interesting how, you know, um, we were using iPads everywhere and things like that, and now people aren't allowed to touch anything. Yes. And then now everyone's been sitting in their home by themselves, so they want to hear Google speak to them 
or Alexa. I think, um, so I think the rise of this is unexpected because of the pandemic, but it also makes sense. So if 2.6 million Australian households have a smart speaker, how do advertisers, like, talk to me about how this, how advertisers jump on this technology and create customer experiences with, with this? Well, I still think it's so new that we're quite not quite sure yet. Sure. But for example, at the moment, I'm sure there is ways to get on board with offering more services through voice. Sure. So you'll be able to go, hey, Google, can you order me dinner from my favorite place I order through Uber Eats or something like that? Yeah. You know, Uber Eats might jump on board. I still feel like there's only a space for bigger brands at the moment. I don't think, you know, if you're a small business, unless you're directly related in some way to that, I'm not sure that there's an opportunity there. Yeah, I, but- suppose, I suppose it's also good to watch though because that, as we know, the big brands start it and it ends up filtering through into all mm, other businesses. For sure. And if they're saying that one in five Australian businesses have a formal voice strategy for this year, that's quite remarkable mm. and i'm gathering that they must need on the back end of their website or on their app allowances for voice to command actions yeah so i think um i find an interesting formal voice strategy could mean a few different things so mm-hmm. it could mean having a function allowing people to talk to google and allow them to do something for your brand new business or it could be as simple as you know we run a podcast but we allow people to use the dictaphone feature on their phone to leave us messages versus typing us an email. So I think there's um, a wide range of voice strategy in that way. So for a small business, for example, it might be worth just thinking about how you can utilize voice uh, to make your customer's life easier. You know, can they place an order with you by leaving you, um, you know, Recording a message message on their phone, voice message on the phone that they email to you or something like that. How do you make their life easier by using voice? Because apparently we can talk three times quicker than we can type or something like that within the article. So being someone being able to voice an action or a command is simpler than them being able to write it down. Right. So it also talks about... um, Can I just preface? We are not tech gurus. (laughs) This is our limited understanding of voice. Yes, but it definitely has popped up again. And I'm honestly feeling like this isn't going away because this has popped up for the second time for us when reviewing what's the trends of 2021 are. So therefore, I'm really looking forward to what we're going to see next year. And these smart speakers. Yeah, because this is happening in 2021. I know. Um, I've got a great idea, Alicia. How about we have someone on the podcast who is possibly an expert in this area to give us a bit of a lesson. I think so. We'll set that up for you guys. Expect a guest interview here soon. This week, our purpose-led brand is Spotify. Spotify is an audio streaming platform that changed the way people pay for music. It launched in 2008. By now, there are over 50 million tracks that you can either listen to for the free and get interrupted by ads or for a fixed monthly price. Now, their purpose, Jade... On their website, it says, our mission is to unlock the potential of human creativity by giving a million creative artists the opportunity to live off their art and billions of fans the opportunity to enjoy and be inspired by it. What do you think? Look, I think, I think it's an interesting one because you can see where they're going with that. 
but they have copped so much flack in the market about um, devaluing the artists. creativity of artists. Mm. Yeah, so which is a shame because I can. I mean, I'm not a. I'm not an artist. Clearly, I can't sing. So I, so I don't fully obviously understand that side of the argument, but I think Spotify, a streaming music platform was always going to happen. And they're, as, as far as I'm aware, they're still paying artists, but obviously not as much as they were getting from CD sales and things like that. Yeah, I think there's, it's, it's a difficult one because Taylor Swift obviously approached this quite publicly a few years back and she's on the platform so she must be happy or at least yeah she's back on the platform. she's back yeah. on the platform which she had a break from and so therefore they must have come to some agreement where she's getting paid enough or enough yeah. that she's allowing to be back on there um i thought it was interesting that it talks about um it's gone into the creativity space with its mission so unlocking the potential of a human of human creativity by giving millions of creative artists the opportunity to live off their art and billions of fans by the opportunity to enjoy it so what i wanted to why i wanted to talk about this brand particularly was purpose doesn't need to be giving back in a way of to charity or to you know, not-for-profit space it can act or sustainability space, which I feel like we keep leaning towards. It actually can also be about enriching lives. Mm. And this is where this is a great example of a platform or a brand that is out there to um, expand people's creativity potential. Yeah. And I, I think it's worth saying that, um, I think for smaller artists, I think that's what the argument is. Smaller artists don't get paid as much as if you're a high streaming artist, for example, because mm. you get paid per number of streams. Yes. But I think it does allow, you know, relatively unknown artists, the accessibility it gives them mm. or gives them to people who want to listen to their music is so much greater than it was without an audio streaming platform. Totally. So I feel like you've got to look at the positives they might may outweigh the negatives in terms of that because if you're a relatively unknown artist prior to a music streaming platform you would have to try and get seen by a, a, a music label to in order to get a cd produced and then get it into stores so the accessibility you have now yes. to get something onto spotify for people to listen to is so much easier yes so i guess they have successfully um created their their they have achieve their purpose or their mission yeah. because they do, they connect those that want to listen and then they connect also the creatives mm. to getting their music out there. Um, I, I find their, their advertising very, very um, interesting and they are definitely one to push the boundaries. Yeah. So it says Spotify, an article says Spotify aims to deepen its relationship with millennials and Gen Z. And there's no better way to do that than by using memes. Memes are insanely relatable. They are the kind of pop culture that makes you feel as though the world, the world understands you and you understand the world. Also, they're funny. There's a campaign that Spotify has done, which we'll put the link in the show notes, but it's, it's very, um, it's very clever with the, the terms it uses to as almost attract, um, to connect with that Gen Z. For instance, I'll give you one example. So one article says, one meme says, I want to give them the hint and not be subtle about it. Spotify, 
has then has a picture of wedding bells. So they do, and they do that quite a lot. They talk about, there's another one that says me, it's okay. The breakup was mutual. And then also me sad indie music. So they, they have lots of these um, and they look like they're around places like New York and things. And they're very, very clever. And they also talk about all the stats, which I, I like. And we want to talk about that a little bit later too, about how they use their data yes. um, to connect. Yeah. I feel like um, it's interesting how they're targeting the millennials and Gen Zs. They've got such great word of mouth, despite having all these legal battles with high profile people. I feel like that those markets of millennials and Gen Zs are less worried about scandals and more open to brands that have had them. Like it's less of a um, black mark for them. Do you know what I mean? Whereas I feel like maybe our generation and even a little bit older, um, you know, if a brand has had a bit of a scandal, it's almost a bit of, oh, you don't go, I kind of go there. I feel like for the younger generation, it's not, not so much of an issue. It's like everyone's got one. You know what? I think this is something to do with the fact that the the younger generation, like they say the Gen Z and millennial market, they are of the generation of I want it now and whatever gives it to me. You know, the loyalty isn't there as much as what we've looked. And this is looking into customer um, um, buyer behavior. We've looked into this before. But the younger generation are less likely to be loyal to a brand that – then they are they are more likely to be um, to quick to change if it gives it to them quicker, right? Or easier. Yep. And that's so if Apple Music has an easier, quicker features, for example, than Spotify does soon, and it's the same price or less than quicker move. to jump. Yep. Yeah. And we've seen this with nearly everything besides from Apple. Yeah. <laughs> um, Apple for some reason takes yeah. a really strong hold, but that that generation are so so. I think this is. I think they play hand in hand with scandal. We they're still giving me what I want. Why would I change? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, so yeah. Um, because it's giving me what I want quickly, easy, affordably. Until there's something better, yes, I'll jump. But I'm not jumping because of X, Y, Z. Yeah, I think it's worth mentioning that everyone had just been posting their Spotify 2020 wrapped at the end of the year. Um, and I found it interesting. So everyone was posting this about what they'd listened to throughout the year and everything like that. I'm sure you saw hundreds yes. of them, Alicia. I know I did. Um, but they also um, used that with their advertisers as well, yeah. which I found interesting. So they actually gave those data and insights of the listening behaviors of their audience to the advertisers. And they were able to use the experience to delve into the music that their target audience listened to and use that information for their advantage in future campaigns, which I found really interesting. Mm. So as well as them using their data for their own benefit, like, you know, that data, obviously they've, sorry, that big data they've used to create Spotify wrapped. They then also not gave the data, but allowed their advertisers to use that data as well, which I found was really interesting. Yeah. Um, and I feel like we've been talking about what we can do with data for many, many years, but I do think that it lends itself to a great example of possibly what small businesses could do with mm. uh, connecting to its audience. You have data on your audiences to some extent. Mm. And I'm talking if you're – um, if your platform allows you to ask questions to your to your target market, you've got then that data on what they feel, like what they like. Then use that back at them. Mm. You know, th- there's there's lots of way of collecting data now with digital. Yeah, talking 
to your customers and then creating a better customer experience for them. And what this allows in terms of a marketing strategy, it allows you to seem more relatable and it allows you to customers to feel like you're listening. Yeah. So I want, I, I want that to be a takeaway from this for small businesses to somehow try and use their data in some way and connect yeah. in a customer level. Even if it's purchase data, yes. what are people buying from you? Yes. You know, are they purchasing green pens over red pens? Maybe green's the color for 2021. Have a think about what kind of data you're getting on your customers and have a think if that's related to anything. What time do people purchase? Mm. Like all the different data that you have and you're looking at and you're keeping internally, you could put that back on your customers and you might actually find people, people are a lot of you, you'll find a lot of people are interested in this because we're nosy. <laughs> so it's, it is, it does create some more content of you pushing your, your data of your company back onto the consumers. Yep, in a creative way. In a creative way. Alicia, I really want to know. So what was on your Spotify wrapped for 2020? Um, Ziggy Alberts was definitely up there. You put me on the spot. <laughs> I can't remember. It was a couple of months ago. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, Toy Story was there too because I do have a two and a four-year-old. <laughs> Don't worry. Mine was Watermelon Sugar. <laughs> good song, good song. Aria thinks so. Yeah. So I love a hard copy diary. I can't help it. I love writing my to-do list by hand. Control Freak are a local Perth-based brand who do an amazing quarterly diary for small business owners. In the words of the brand themselves, this diary is for people trying to juggle the business, job, family, social life, and your secret superhero identity all at once. I want to talk about a growth hack and how it can be done on a minimal marketing budget. Cross-promotion. Brands cross-promoting and how it can help in the age of people growing their own networks, I often get asked the question, now what? You might have exhausted your own network with pushing your product or service to them and don't feel you're getting much traction from that same market anymore. Well, it's time to reach out to some like-minded brands and offer a cross-promotion. You can use their reach in return for them using yours. Either produce content together, create a combined competition, or simply give them a free product to offer up their network and vice versa. it for this week make sure you leave us a review or follow us on instagram at marketing that matters pod we love a chat thanks for listening to the marketing that matters podcast <laughs>